that night, I had a breakdown, had to take a few days off of work, realized what I was having, I think was a nervous breakdown. And within about two days, I was like, how do I change my life? What do I want to do? And I said, healing is the only thing that matters in my life anymore. Welcome to Successful, the podcast, a show about the stories of women redefining success. We're your hosts. I'm Carla. And I'm Natalie. Like you, we're two career women figuring out the meaning of success. In each episode, we bring you our stories and the stories of other women who are redefining success in life, in work, and on their own terms. Welcome to Successful, the podcast. I'm Carla, and I am so happy to be joining you all for another episode, episode number 19. We're almost nearing the end of season one, which is just such an exciting milestone. And I am joining you all today from the beautiful state of Colorado, where our camper is parked. I have the beautiful Rockies in front of me and the beautiful great sand dunes, which are the highest dunes in the United States, apparently. And I'm joined today by my wonderful co-host, Natalie. Hi, Natalie. Hey, Carla. I'm so Natalie. jealous of your sand dune explorations. <laughs> I know. It's like, do I share it and make people hate me and be annoyed by me or inspired? Go either way. Not hate you. <laughs> Definitely jealous, but would love to be there with you, <laughs> per usual. What is, what is outside of your window? in Dallas today? Let's see. I have a lawn that needs to be cut and that's just about the most exciting thing that I'm seeing. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So I'm hateful. I get it. (laughs) No, it's okay. I still love you. (laughs) Uh, Thank you. Thank you. And today, Natalie, we are joined by a really fascinating woman. I am so excited for our conversation today. It's someone that I personally admire for her strength, for her resilience, for her expertise as well. I'm really excited for her to share it with us. And that is Kristen Panasiewicz. Kristen, did I pronounce your last name correctly? Almost. And as soon as you said it, I was thinking, oh, I should have rehearsed that one before we started. It's Panasiewicz. So it's it's actually a really common, it's a Polish name. It's quite a common Polish name. But um, yeah, sounds, sounds worse than it is. Thank you very much for correcting me. And Kristen, you're joining us today from London, which is really exciting. I think it's the first time that we've had a guest that is based outside of the United States. So thank you for fitting us into your time zone. I think it's your evening. And just because we're on the theme, what is outside your window today in London? I know I don't sound like I'm from London. I'm from Princeton, New Jersey originally, but I've lived in London for almost 13, no, over 13 years now. So yeah, so I'm... um, staring at a line of rush hour traffic outside my window. <laughs> and Kristen, tell us a little bit about you, about your practice. And I'm really curious to get a little bit into the, the tools that you use in your practice. Actually, this month is my one year anniversary of my healing practice. It is a therapy practice, but I prefer to call it a healing practice. So you will often hear me use the word healing, which just I want that to sort of throw anyone off. I started it July a year ago, I practiced primarily a technique called EFT, which stands for Emotional Freedom Technique, although most people really know it as tapping. Um, it used to kind of be considered an alternative therapy, but now I'd say it's, which thrills me to say this, but I think it's pretty mainstream now, and I mean that in sort of a really positive way. 
probably the easiest way to describe it is a non-traditional, non-talk therapy, a form of somatic therapy, which means it's body-based. And there's a, a really significant rise of somatic therapies right now. And a lot of people are calling it sort of the fourth wave of therapy because, um, again, I won't go too much into the sort of science of it, but when you're talking about trauma, which basically is the root, you know, we, we talk about trauma, we think of really epic incidents. And actually, that's not always the case. That's not the majority of cases. We all have trauma, whether it's developmental or acute trauma. And it goes in the body. It's a misconception to think that trauma is stored in the mind. It's not true. It's stored in the body. It goes in the body and it has to go out the body the same way it went in. So part of the reason that EFT is so important to me is because I think it's an incredibly powerful technique for not only sort of treating trauma, but actually clearing it from the body. I mean, you can say that about um, a lot of things. So I, again, my passion is for trauma, but we can talk about anxiety. We can talk about phobias, um, sort of just general discontent in life, performance. I also do um, a few other techniques that are a little bit sort of more energy-based maybe. So like cord cutting rituals, I think are incredibly powerful for cutting sort of these sort of psychological and energetic bonds that we have with people or situations or beliefs and I do I'm very interested so anything to do with the subconscious mind and sort of tapping into the subconscious and not in a psychotherapy way because I'm not a psychotherapist so I'll say that but the subconscious is I mean it it, it rules 95% of our behavior which actually very few of us know so we all think we're in control of our behavior and it's not true our conscious mind only controls 5% of what we do. So that's decision-making, behaviors, the way we react to things, the what we, we express ourselves, everything we do on a conscious level, it's 5% of what our mind is doing. The subconscious is doing 95% of that. So we are completely dictated by everything in our subconscious. I also am very interested in integrating sort of guided visualizations and guided meditations that are not they're not hypnotherapy because i'm not a hypnotherapist but they're sort of of that elk and they're they're sort of designed into getting a little bit deeper into the subconscious mind and then we pick up with eft and sort of we work with what we found i practice multiple techniques but the thread that runs through them is what is sort of known generally as integrated healing which is the principle that you have to treat mind body and spirit in order to actually heal i love the the emphasis that you made around how trauma is is in our body because i do think that there's this perception of it of, of it being in our in our brain when i say the body what i really mean is the nervous system so our nervous system responds to something external so whether we're having argument with our partner or we are being chased by the sort of proverbial tiger in the wild or whether we're in a meeting with our boss at a boardroom and we're not feeling so great our body is scanning our nervous system our body is scanning for what it perceives as threats and our brain and our nervous system hasn't evolved yet to be able to discern between emotional threats and physical threats which is very important we perceive to be our emotions are actually only thoughts about what we're feeling. So what we think are our emotions are thoughts being processed about what we're actually perceiving in our body. Thank you for, for adding that clarity. So Kristen, I'm really fascinated by EFT. The first time I heard about EFT was, I think, from my mom. She studied psychology in, in her earlier career years. And she tried to teach me tapping techniques. And I was too young at the time to... Yeah, to understand what it was or or even just feel the need to use it or whatnot. So I'm curious to learn first, 
What made you choose EFT as the primary tool that you use with your clients? Yeah, it's a long story, so I'll keep it brief. But in a nutshell, so I had a therapist years ago, probably we're talking 12, 13 years ago. And she was, she was a healer much like myself. And of course, at the time, I didn't quite have the maturity to sort of recognize that she was unusual. So I just thought all therapists practice in a holistic way. And I just remember having this issue that like, I just couldn't budge and I was so resistant about. It. And she just one day was like, can I just try something with you? And she's like, I'm not even going to bother explaining this. And you're going to think it's really weird. But she's like, I don't really care. Can, do you mind? Are you open to it? And I said, sure. And she goes through this routine and she didn't spend long, which maybe spent like five, 10 minutes. And she, she just tapped on me, like around my face and my body. And I was like, what the hell is this woman doing? And I was like, oh my God. And she was, and the, to make it even weirder, she was making these statements and ma making me repeat after her as she was tapping around. And I'm like, oh my God, this is so weird. And at the end of it, so only, we only did like three sort of rounds, maybe after two minutes, she was like, okay. She's like, what are you feeling? Did anything come up with that? And I just sort of sat there and I had like tears in my eyes. And I just said, I, this memory that I've had, it wasn't like a buried subconscious memory. It's a memory that I had from when I was a kid, normal memory that I've always known is there. I was just thinking about this memory as you were tapping of my cousin, of like me being brought as kind of like this chubby little kid around with my gorgeous older cousin and everyone sort of fawning over her. And of course that my, and my therapist was like, oh, okay. I was so amazed because that memory that came up as we were tapping basically unlocked my entire healing process with her. And I just couldn't get this out of my head. So I just kept researching it. And I was like, what is this? This is so cool. And I learned about EFT. Again, we can interchangeably call it tapping. I, I like the term EFT, but we'll, we'll call it tapping equally. And then in 2016, I was in a really traumatic accident. I was in London and I was, um, I haven't found a way to describe it. So it doesn't sound melodramatic, but quite frankly, it just is. So we're just going to deal with it. But I was walking, I was crossing a bridge at night and I was hit by one car and I was flung across the road to the other side and I was literally run over by a car coming in the opposite direction. And I had a near-death experience, which is actually an official term. It doesn't mean I just ooh, almost died. It actually is sort of a neurological term. And it's when you see that kind of funny proverbial light at the end of the tunnel, although most people don't actually see lights at the end of the tunnels. And from that moment, everything changed. I was in the hospital for an extended period of time. It was about a year recovery. I did recover. I wasn't supposed to recover. No one has any idea why I did. Everything was as extreme as it sounds. When my body sort of recovered and I had this great support system, um, people flew over from America, my friends in London, I mean, from around the world, everyone, it was incredible. It's just, they were just with me. And everyone rolled up their sleeves and did the dirty work that needed to be done because I couldn't move and I couldn't do anything. But you know, I went home and once my body was like, okay, I, I'm safe now, that's when my subconscious and my mind freaked out. And I had a complete, you know, I won't say it was a psychological sort of crisis, but I mean, that's when the trauma really set in in my brain. And it was very obvious that that was a journey I had to do by myself. And I hadn't been working for six months, so I couldn't afford a therapist. I couldn't afford any help. And the NHS, which is absolutely incredible here, the National Healthcare Service, it's fantastic, but it's not great when it comes to mental health care. And the waiting lists are months long. I needed urgent care. So fundamentally, there wasn't a resource for me. There was, there was literally nothing. I wasn't part of a, of a healing community at the time. 
I mean, I worked in the luxury industry. There was literally no resource for me. And I'm sitting there, you know, suicidal at night. Can't even process. Nobody having any sort of idea what this could possibly be like. I was 29, you know, nobody around me had any, had any experience with mortality. Nobody knew how to help me. Um, and frankly, probably just, I had support, but I don't think anyone was really equipped to do it. Um, or comfortable doing it. And, and that's okay. You know, that's, now I understand that that's okay. They did their best. Um, and these journeys, frankly, they just have to be done alone. So the only thing that I knew how to do was tapping because of my experience with my therapist. And it was the only tool in my arsenal. And I just tapped on myself every day, all day, all night when I couldn't sleep, I would just tap and tap and tap. And I had no idea what I was doing. So it completely directionless at the time. I would just feel these surges of emotion and thoughts and I would just tap on them just to, now I understand um, sort of biologically and neurologically what was happening as I was doing that. But at the time I had no idea. I just knew that I was feeling relief and that kept me going for a couple of years. And then once everything sort of settled, I decided to go get my, sort of first level qualification in, in EFT because I wanted to understand what it was that I'd been doing. Got that. Uh, had a, an official breakdown in 2020, uh, which I can talk more about later, but because that's, that was sort of the turning point for me and decided enough. I want to do this professionally. This is the most effective tool that I've ever come across. It's life-changing for me. It's borderline miraculous. I mean, for, I, I won't. I won't say it necessarily will be for everyone, but I, for me, it, I mean, it kept me alive. I mean, it, it truly kept me alive. Um, and um, yeah, so EFT is my life. Again, it's not the only therapeutic modality that works. There are a lot of other similar modalities that are um, probably just as effective. Well, I won't say a lot. There's there's a couple I could name that I know are just as impactful and fast really fast working. Thank you for sharing that, that deeply personal story. I, I'm so appreciative of you opening up about that with, with our listeners, because sometimes, you know, a lot of it's just kind of happy go lucky. And, and yes, we talk about difficult things, but I don't think we've had a conversation about something so traumatic. And, and it's really incredible to learn about the way that you relied on yourself, you relied on past knowledge, mm -hmm. but really on yourself to just and just believed and kept going with it and turned it then into something that is now benefiting the clients that you're working with. I, I really admire, I really admire you, Kristen. Thank you for sharing that. So tell us a little bit about, a little bit more about that transition that happened between realizing the power of, of EFT and then deciding to turn that into your business. It's like a side business, but really I just have two full-time jobs. Um, that are more than full-time jobs. So I, <laughs> of course. Like, you know, I work 24 hours a day and I don't, by the way, I say that and I don't glorify that because a big part of my ethos is this hustle culture that needs to, and I do it because this is the most important thing in my life um, at the moment. So I am not glorifying that. And a lot of people who have side hustles like to glorify how they work all the time. And that's not, that's not healthy. I just want to put that out there as I laugh about it. But having said that, I have a full-time job and I have a career and it's a pretty good career. I have the utmost respect for what I do, my employer, because it's quite, it's quite a recognizable name. And, um, it's a really sort of, it's an honor to be able to say, I do what I do. So I'm a project manager in my background. I focus on sort of design slash architecture slash construction. So it's 
completely the opposite of what I do. It's incredibly stressful, incredibly intense and demanding. And when I'm not doing that, I'm doing my healing work and I'm seeing clients. I haven't gone through the whole healing experience. And by the way, the healing experience isn't just a chat. It wasn't like, oh, I healed. This is, it's been six and a half years since my accident this month. And I still do EFT and I'm still healing every single day. And I will be for the rest of my life. And yes, I'm, I'm okay, but like, this isn't just something you do and then it's done. It's, it's a, it's a lifelong process. Um, so I just want to make that clear. So I'm sitting in this meeting in February, you know, it's like just early in the pandemic and I'm in, I'm in this video call, thank God. And it was like, I don't even remember what you're talking about. It wasn't anything remarkable at all. And I just started having, I'd only had one anxiety attack in my entire life, but I knew that's what was happening. So I recognized it. And I just like couldn't breathe all of a sudden. And I was thinking, oh my God, I think I'm having an anxiety attack. Why? What is this? Go what is going on? And it was like, I was having this outer body experience. And I'm thinking, how did my life become this? When, what happened? And I thought, Wait, and then like my, my brain is thinking and I'm having this sort of philosophical conversation in my mind while this entire meeting is going on. I'm supposed to be chairing this meeting and I'm thinking, meanwhile, I'm hyperventilating and I'm thinking, oh, I just spent all those years going through this extreme internal transformation, but nothing external has changed. Nothing. Absolutely nothing external has changed. I'm a completely different person. Why am I still in the same exact life that I was in, which there was nothing wrong with, by the way but it's not who I am anymore. I, I literally died and I'm, I can't, I'm a different person. And do you know, in that meeting, so one of the great things about tapping is that you can do it on yourself. So when, for example, when I tap with you, I don't tap on them. We mirror tap, we, we, we tap in tandem, uh, but you can do it on yourself. And I am in this meeting because I was, the video was facing me. And so I couldn't start tapping on myself and I needed to regulate my nervous system, which means bring, bring yourself sort of down from that supercharged overstimulated, uh, where you start to panic basically. And I'm sitting, I've got my hand under the table and I'm trying to keep it cool in this video. And I just start tapping on a point on my wrist. So I know nobody can see this, but you can see it. So there's a point on my, on your wrist that you can tap. And any of us can do this. I show clients this all the time. And I just think if you're in a meeting and someone's really pissing you off, just tap on it and just keep yourself calm. That night, I had a breakdown, had to take a few days off of work, realized what I was having, I think, was a nervous breakdown. And within about two days, I had realized that I was like, how do I change my life? What do I want to do? And I said, healing is the only thing that matters in my life anymore. I mean, it sounds extreme, but I, it is really almost the only thing that matters in my life anymore. And I enrolled to do my professional qualification for EFT within two days. I had enrolled in a diploma course in integrated healing, um, which I'm a year into now. And six months after that, I had my business launched. Um, as soon as I had my professional qualification, I was able to practice professionally. So that brings me to a year ago. So it's still, it's, you know, it's, it's slow going because I can't dedicate a hundred percent of my time to it, unfortunately, but it's really taken off and it's doing really well. And I, um, I like to pat myself on the back for that because it's not easy to do two full-time jobs as a lot of us know. It's really not easy. And again, thank you for sharing your panic attack experience as someone who has suffered with that in the past. I know how terrifying it can be to be, you know, in public, essentially, I mean, you were on video, yes. but you're essentially in front of people. 
when this is happening. And, um, I, from what I know about anxiety is it's showing us something that we're not addressing. It's our body's way of physically showing us that there's something that we need to Mm -hmm. mentally and emotionally address. And I know that there were things that when I started having panic attacks that I just was not addressing. So they kept happening. Right. And so I just really admire that you took the time to do the work actually and dive in and be like, why am I feeling this way? Why am I all of a sudden having this panic attack and actually Mm -hmm. realizing that it was probably because you were misaligned? It sounds like. Exactly. That's exactly how I describe it. I was, I was living a life that was absolutely not in alignment with the person that I am. And that, and, and frankly, most of us are, which is why a lot of us suffer from depression and anxiety and a whole cohort of other emotional issues and problems. And we just, we just, Take it as the status quo because so many of us suffer in that way that we think that that's just how our generation has to has to be, and it's just not yeah. true. Just something that we have to deal with, right? Right, right, exactly. It's just, and it's just not true. It's just, and it breaks my heart that so many of us just think, oh, it's fine, I get by. And like we don't mm-hmm. have to live. We don't. We just don't have to suffer through our life. It's not an easy path to to sort of to to change that experience. But it's a hundred percent doable, hundred percent. So I'm curious with your current clients. So you know that this podcast is geared towards career-driven women and people who are trying to redefine success for themselves. So people who are trying to get in alignment with you know their values and what they actually want to do. So with your clients, um, you know, when you're treating these high-performing women, are you seeing any trends and things that women just aren't addressing? Yes. Oh, yes. And you won't be surprised to hear it. I can answer this question without even thinking about it. Single thing that is a threat, and it manifests differently. So every sort of issue we have has um, relates to something called a core issue. So basically, if you envision a well, it's kind of like going down the well, going down the well through our issues, our surface issues. And then we finally hit the bottom of the well, and that's our core issue. And that core issue affects everything, everything. Um, and there's usually only a handful of core issues. Without a doubt, the most common one that I work with in women is low self-worth, which isn't going to surprise anyone. But usually that manifests most commonly in two ways, in the people that I see anyway. One is imposter syndrome. For a work point of view, it manifests in that way. And two, well, a lot of people call self-abandonment, which is basically from a personal point of view, from a non-work and a personal life, which is basically when we put others before ourselves constantly. We, we think we're doing it from a place of service uh, and it's not. And, and low self-worth is usually the result. However, however it's manifesting, it could be like imposter syndrome at work. It could be um, not feeling comfortable speaking up for ourselves, um, unhealthy relationships, unhealthy body image, um, like work, workaholism. I mean, so many things, depression, anxiety, like really extreme anxiety, there's just so many ways that this can manifest and, and slow self. So that's why I call it the core issue. Cause you're not going to know that you have low self-worth. If you're coming in you're like, Oh, I don't know. I just keep like, I've just, my relationship with my partner is just not great. Okay. Well, we're going to, we're going to dig down and probably at the bottom of that is going to be because you don't think you're worthy of anything better. And usually low self-worth is related to, there usually is some trauma in a background. A lot of Again, everyone has trauma. Women in particular have a lot of trauma in their background somewhere. Almost all of us have it in their background. 
So it could be related to trauma, but it could also be um, conditioned beliefs. Although, frankly, condition the way we're conditioned and what we're conditioned to believe can be quite traumatic as well. So it's sort of it's all interlinked. When I say conditioned, I mean, you know, people think, oh, this is just nothing. But no, it, it's so important. When, when we're told as kids, don't raise your voice, be seen, not heard, put others first, um, help others before you help yourselves. Uh, you're not really anything. You need to find a rich husband. You need to find a husband. You need a partner. You need to be a mother. You need to have kids. I mean, I could go on. You need to excel at your career. You need to do all this. All of that is conditioning. And we've all heard. And I don't mean, I don't even have to even go into like what we see in magazines and in the media. Like I'm not even going to, that's so obvious. I'm not even going to go into that. I'm talking things that are, are we are all experiencing and we're all perpetuating as parents, as leaders, as teachers, as managers. We're all doing this to other people. That's how we speak to people. Be, be subservient, be respectful, be all these things, not respect yourself. What does that sound like? If you're respecting yourself, be assertive. No, like, don't be aggressive, but be assertive. Most of us don't know what assertive actually means. Um, so, yeah. So I think, I think um, again, a topic I could talk for hours about because I'm really, this is really a big one for me, but self-worth is definitely the most common issue that people come in with, especially women. Yeah. And we talk about imposter syndrome mm. quite a bit and it comes up all the time with our guests. Something that we, at least speaking from my perspective, I thought I was the only one who had it. Cause you look at all these great women around you and you're like, surely, surely Carla doesn't have imposter syndrome at all, you know? Yeah. But then yeah. you come to find out that most people do. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Right. Right. It really is a recurring theme on this podcast mm-hmm. um, and in our conversations. And, and it's mostly, you know, with women that we speak with. So I, I, I'm really enjoying hearing about your your practice, Kristen, and, and that core core issue that you talk about, like really getting deep into what is at the root of what's creating these limiting beliefs, these assumptions that we're making. Um, because in, in coaching, which is what I do, and we've talked a little bit about this, it's very forward looking and we don't always dig mm-hmm. as deeply as, as this, but I think it is important to figure out what are those really, those messages, those in, those experiences that come from our childhood in many time, in, in many occasions that have really subconsciously created these limitations that, that we yeah. have. So I appreciate that. Kristen, you, t- you give us a little bit of a, of a insight into an EFT technique earlier with that, the uh-huh. tapping your wrist technique, which I love because you can do that, you know, under the table when you're in a meeting, yeah. would you be open to showing us perhaps another or, or perhaps expand on that technique a little bit? Yep, absolutely. So I'll just explain before we do. So I'll just walk you through. So in EFT, so what we're doing basically are tapping on something called acupoints. Now, people, this always tends to resonate with a lot of people. If you've ever had acupuncture, have either of you ever used acupuncture? I have, yeah. Okay. So it's very, in fact, a lot of us call it emotional acupuncture. It works with um, points along our meridian system, which is basically where energy travels up and down, a very sort of core part of Eastern medicine, meridians. And acupoints are the same points that um, acupuncturists put needles into, or in um, Japanese culture, shiatsu, they just stimulate. So whether you're stimulating tapping or putting needles into acupoints, we're basically stimulating our neurobiology. Uh, So I'm not without going a huge amount into that. 
within EFT, we focus on nine specific acupoints. There's other ones that we use in a, in a sort of deeper practice, but in a basic, uh, we call it basic EFT, it's nine points. And I'll show you what those are. And for the people listening, I'll just have to kind of explain that. But I will just say there is so many visuals and illustrations online. If you just Google tapping points, it will show you like maps of exactly also the tapping solution, Nick Ortner and Jessica Ortner, great Instagram, you can YouTube them, great. They're really good about showing people how to physically sort of tap on themselves because we can do this with ourselves. I'll show you the tapping points and I'll talk you through them in a moment. And I'll just say, so what I think, just because we were just talking about self-worth, I think it might be you know, something I tap on all the time with people. I'm going to keep it generic. If I was working with a client, this would be incredibly personalized. We would have had a long talk about something that was really bothering you. So we'll just do two rounds just to give you an idea of it. And I'm going to kind of lead. We're just going to focus on generally self-worth. It may not resonate with either of you, but it probably will. So we'll see. And then, um, so it'll just take about a minute or so and you just follow me. So basically what we're going to do is... I'm going to tap. They're going to tap with me. I'll tell you, I'll narrate along as we go so you know where we're going. Um, and you just repeat after what I say. So I'll make a statement. You just repeat it. That's all. And then we move on. And um, I like a good, I always tell people, I like a good robust tap. Don't tap so much that you're like going to exhaust your hand or you're going to bruise yourself. But I wouldn't go so gentle that you just can't feel it. I like to feel a nice sort of reverberation through my body as I tap. Okay. Are we ready? Ready. Do we keep our yeah. eyes oh, open? Yeah. I'm so glad you asked that. Yes. It's really important with EFT to keep your eyes open. And actually I've spent half my time telling people, open your eyes, open your eyes. Okay. And the reason for that is because we're depending on what we're dealing with. So some issues, it's not really safe for people to close their eyes because you want to keep people present. So we want to stay present in our surroundings. We don't want to go inside because sometimes inside when we're dealing with really uh, deep issues, especially if we're tapping on anything traumatic. So keep your eyes open. So basically we call this sort of the karate chop point on the hand, although I think that term is obsolete now. I'm not supposed to be calling it that anymore. But anyway, to illustrate, it's basically what it's like if you were going to karate chop your hand. It's the side of your hand from your pinky, like down to your palm, like right here. Um, either side, whatever's more comfortable, the meridians are mirrored on both sides of the body. So you can switch intermittently or you can do it with two hands. You can do it with one, whatever. It's all very, it all works equally well. I'm going to make three statements that are going to sound kind of strange and you're just going to repeat them. They're going to be virtually identical statements. And the reason we do this is because we're basically trying to counteract what's called a psychological reversal, which is um, like a resistance in our subconscious mind that's going to try to self-sabotage uh, self the work we're doing. And uh, I won't explain why that works, but just trust that it does. And then... We will go to this tapping point above our eyebrow. So the inner corner of your eyebrow, just above it. So you're not tapping on like the eyebrow hair, just right above the eyebrow hair. And then the side of the eye, but like on your eye socket, like keep it on the bone. And then under your eye, but also on the, on the eye like socket bone. And then under your nose, so above your lip and under your nose. Yeah. And then your chin, so in that little crevice between your lip and your chin. And again, you'll watch me do this, so don't, don't feel like you need to memorize it. Just want you to get used to feeling it. And then the collarbone, which is a little tricky for some people. So if you take this little U shape where the bones, the pointy bones are in your collarbone on either side, and if you just kind of go down about an inch or so, that's it. But if you just kind of take your hands and tap or roll around that area, you hit the meridian, so it's fine. And then right under the arm, basically right where your bra strap is for women. And then the last one is the top of your head. And that's all.
That's all. So those are the nine points. Okay. Awesome. Are you ready? And as we go through it, I, I invite any listeners to to also go, go along with us. Absolutely. As listening to, yep. to this episode. Absolutely. Yeah. So just repeat after me. I'll go slowly. Even though I feel like an imposter in my career. Even though I feel like an imposter in my career. I deeply and completely accept myself. I deeply and completely accept myself. Even though I feel like an imposter in my career. Even though I feel like an imposter in my career. I accept myself anyway. I accept myself anyway. Last time, even though I feel like an imposter in my career. Even though I feel like an imposter in my career. I accept myself. I accept myself. Okay, now move to the inner eyebrow. Just right above the eyebrow there. I'm just not good enough at my job. I'm just not good enough at my job. Inside of the eye on the bone there. I'm an imposter in my career. I'm an imposter in my career. And under the eye. Pretty soon my coworkers and my boss is going to figure it out. Pretty soon my boss and my coworkers are going to figure it out. Under the nose. They're going to see that I'm not good enough at this. They're going to see that I'm not good enough at this. On the chin. I'm an imposter in my career. I'm an imposter in my career. Collarbone. I don't know how I've kept up this charade for so long. I don't know how I've kept up the charade for so long. Under the arm. They're going to see right through me anytime. They're going to see right through me anytime. Top of the head. It's really much safer for me to stay small at work and be invisible. It's really much safer for me to stay small at work and invisible. I'm just going to do one more round, so come back to the eyebrow. I'm really just not good enough at my job. I'm really just not good enough at my job. Side of the eye. I'm going to be revealed soon enough. I'm going to be revealed soon enough. Under the eye. Soon people are going to start telling me I'm just not good enough. Soon people are going to start telling me I'm just not good enough. Under the nose. But who am I kidding? They can already see it. Who am I kidding? They can already see it. Chin. It's really just safer for me to stay where I am. It's really just safer for me to stay where I am. It's safer for me to not try to grow and expand in my career. It's safer for me to not try to expand and grow in my career. Moving on. Because if I fly under the radar, no one will notice that I'm incompetent. Because if I fly under the radar, no one will notice that I'm incompetent. Last one, top of the head. I feel like an imposter in my career. I feel like an imposter in my career. Okay, now just take a deep breath and just let it all out whenever you're ready. Tell me how that felt. You may not have felt anything or you may have, you may be a little surprised by actually something that came up. You don't have, you don't have to share, but. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm happy to share. It was, at first, you know, you started off with counteracting those mm -hmm. thoughts. And so I, I felt good because I was fighting those thoughts. But then I noticed that you, you didn't counteract the thoughts, you kind of embraced it. I mean, you were really repeating thoughts around imposter syndrome. And one of the first times that you said something, oof, I really felt the emotional trigger. Mm. Um, I'm currently trying to grow my business and have definitely been feeling some of these insecurities. And so it felt really personal. Yeah. I felt like I 
you were verbalizing or I was verbalizing to these these thoughts that I have been not verbalizing mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> um, but feeling yeah Good. and yeah so I definitely felt an emotional physical reaction to to many of the things mm-hmm. that you said and I wanted to fight them but but I didn't and I think towards the end I definitely did feel a little bit more of like ah, no it's not true like I, I really can do this I'm strong Good. so so just spending the time tackling them and putting them out there at the end, my brain was like, no, of course you can do this. Yeah. So so I, I really appreciate that space to verbalize. Yeah. Oh, I'm glad you said that because that's exactly. So after we do a couple of rounds, we would stop and we'd check in. And I'll, and I'll ask how, how intense that feeling or that belief seems after those rounds. Sometimes it goes up. Sometimes after tapping, we're like, you feel way worse. And then it's fine. It's absolutely fine. It's normal. We bring it back down. But sometimes you're like, okay, it's gone down a little bit but maybe not great. And we, we just keep working through it. So we're constantly checking, constantly assessing. And the thing is with EFT, with the reason I think it's so important and valuable is that if we were, if we were sort of tapping on this in sessions, we, I would say probably within three to four sessions, we'd probably have made, we either would have cleared this imposter syndrome or we would have really made a huge dent in it. And once we clear it, by the way, I'm deliberately saying clear it because we do clear it. That's our goal in EFT. We don't learn coping skills and we don't talk in circles around our problems. All the talking has value. I don't mean to say that it doesn't. We are clearing it because by tapping, we are neurobiologically rewiring our brain and our amygdala, which is our survival sense in our brain, to respond differently. So what's happening in you, if of course we would, you know, we would personalize it so that the statements we were making, you know, and they might be really quite cutting and triggering because I would be telling, I would be saying things to you that you said to me and to hear those fed back to you are quite jarring. You know, it's not, it isn't, it's gentle, but sometimes it's not always that gentle and that's why it's effective. But, you know, if you were say, if you had described to me that you spend most of your time in work just nervous um, about making decisions or if you were a line manager and you're worried, just like constantly feeling anxiety that like your, your direct reports were going to undermine you and, and you, you know, you weren't going to go for the promotion and what about, you know, whatever you'd be feeling really visceral responses to that, which is why, which is kind of what makes somatic therapy so important. It's recognizing where we feel that emotion in our body. So maybe you have butterflies in your stomach. I don't know. Maybe you have tightness in your chest you, through the work of tapping you'd be rewiring your brain to respond differently. So when, when you saw a promotion come up, instead of feeling butterflies in your stomach or feeling nauseous, you wouldn't feel anything at all. So it, it's actually changing our behavior. We're changing. We're not coping. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah. I had a very similar experience, Carla. Thank you. So I'm glad you verbalized that. <laughs> and I think it's interesting that when you were describing how you experienced it, Carla, is very similar to how I experienced it. At first I was like, oh yeah, I love these positive statements. And then when you hit the negative ones, I was like, uh, this is really mm-hmm. uncomfortable. And then by yeah. the end, I was like, I was feeling like I was speaking things that my mind didn't think were true. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And that's usually where the tears start flowing, which I love. People always think I'm perverse. I love when we're tapping Mm -hmm. in the tear. When I'm crying, when I'm, when I'm tapping on myself, I know I've shifted something when I start crying because that's Mm -hmm. energy moving and that's a bodily response. 
it's it's a it's a sort of primordial response that we it's called shaking it off so when a bird flies into a window for example it just shakes because that's what animals are trained to do they shake trauma out of their body and they clear it we harbor that trauma which turns into chronic which is what we call chronic stress basically mm. and that turns into horrendous physical ailments you know what stress does to a body crying is a form of shaking it off it's a release of energy so it's a great sign when we're doing the healing work and we start crying and not everyone's comfortable with that but it's it's really great and some people fall asleep <laughs> some people like i have to pee constantly when i'm when i'm tapping it's just it's just the body it's the shake off response some people burp like it's really weird people just do weird things and it seems ridiculous but it's just your body's reaction that's amazing kristen so thank you so much for for spending time with us because it's one thing to talk about it and it's another to to experience um, experience this tool and I hope that our listeners you know can can also follow along or, or did follow along uh, to to see what experience came up for them and, and I'm sure it's it's all very unique mm. to each of us so Kristen Absolutely. as we wind down and and wrap up I do want to ask you the one question that we ask all our guests on this podcast which is what is your your personal definition of success at this point in time in your career and how does your business allow you to honor this definition? Oh, I like that. I like that tail end of that question. I can sum it up in two words, authenticity and autonomy. I want to be in control of where I am in the world and when I'm doing what I'm doing. Luckily, because I can do this work remotely, I've worked with clients across four continents. I'm not kidding. Within the first year, four continents. It's absolutely incredible. I can be anywhere in the world I want to do it, right? I mean, I'm in London, obviously, at the moment. But this work enables me to work around the world. That, to me, already is a huge sign of success. And authenticity, which is a huge huge value of mine. I listened to one of your former podcasts when you were talking about values and I was thinking, what's my number one value? And I think authenticity is my number one value. And when I say authenticity, I mean exactly what you were just talking about. I want to feel comfortable being at work, talking about vulnerability. I want to be able to talk about how I feel. I don't want to feel the pressure at work to feel like my answer has to be fine when someone says, how are you? Cause they don't need, they're not, they're just saying it cause it's small talk. I don't want to feel like I have to speak corporate speak, you know, and some people, I'm not knocking this. Some people really love their careers and some people really love that sort of corporate culture. And that's, if you love it, do whatever, as long as you love it, that's great. But if you don't love it, then make a change. We all have to make a change. We deserve that. So I just want to be able to speak exactly my truth and with the language that I want, with the emotions that I that are authentic to me. And I just want to speak in alignment with me. And when I can live and work in a way that feels totally authentic and maskless and autonomous, that's when I know I've been successful and I'm, I'm nearly there. I'm nearly there. Where can people find you, learn more? My website, which is a pretty fun place. I'm pretty proud of my website, actually. It's got great information about sort of the healing process, what that means to me, etc. other things that I do. Um, and that is, uh, com. And I'll just say that in honor of my one year anniversary of my practice, I'm about to launch a newsletter, which I'm so excited about that will come in the next sort of two weeks. So if you go on my website, you can sign up for my newsletter and the newsletter is not really just sort of, um, a bunch of marketing, although 
there's nothing wrong with that. But it's from for me part of my vision is to sort of build a community of healers and people on this journey and people who also really value authenticity and need a safe place to be able to go on this journey so the newsletter basically will have just a lot of really beautiful content about healing um eft uh, tarot which is also there's more information on my website about what i mean when i talk about using tarot for healing um just sort of all things that are relevant to this community i'm going to be talking about other healing modalities you know ways to just practice self-care. So I just encourage everyone to sign up for the newsletter because um, I think it will just be really good and um, just be a really good resource for people on this, on the sort of healing journey or people who aren't quite sure what that means or whether they're ready for it. Just stay on the periphery. It's fine. Excellent. Kristen, thank you so much again for joining us. This was such a fascinating, insightful, valuable conversation. I learned so much. I really, really appreciate you you spending time with us, especially on a Friday evening for you in London. Thank oh, you. Thank you guys. It's so thank great. You, thank you for thank you for letting me just ramble on about my my favorite topics. So thank you. I really No rambling. I value that. Thank you. You can come and ramble. <laughs> if you want to come ramble, you can come on our show anytime. Anytime. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. Thanks everybody. Bye. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Successful. If you liked what you heard, give us a follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also follow us on Instagram at SuccessfulThePod. See you next time. Bye.